Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hello, Connection Point. You doing okay? Good. Well, hello, online family. Hello, Avon family. Wherever you are worshiping with us today, we're just super thankful that you're a part of this family, that we get to spend this time together putting our focus on Jesus, and that's really what we've been doing for the last uh, few weeks, this series that we are wrapping up today. It's called The Story of the Universe, and we've been tracking from Genesis to Revelation, the entire story of the scripture, which is actually the true story of the whole world, how it came to be, helping us make sense of where we are now and pointing towards some things that have yet to come. We're landing the plane today, And what we've seen the whole time through is Jesus. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the central figure, not just of the Bible, but of all eternity, and should be the one that we center our lives around. Uh, We made it from Jesus as creator in the first week, Jesus through the Old Testament in the second week, Jesus all the way through the New Testament in the third week, and then uh, today. It's Revelation, the entire book of Revelation in one sermon. Hang in, get notes ready, turn your brain on. Please pray for me even while you're listening, if you're able, because I desperately need it. Uh, Revelation is kind of a daunting uh, book. It's a daunting thing to study. Every time I think about it, I get stressed. It goes back Over two decades, in the late 90s, when I was just getting started in ministry as a youth pastor at a little church in a mountain resort community in Southern California, and uh, people would come and vacation up there and whatnot, and we lived there full time. I was getting to preach for probably the second time in big church. Uh, They'd only had me with uh, youngsters before that. They invited me to come to speak in big church. They gave me a text from Revelation to teach for my second time, speaking to adults. And at the time, what was even more crazy was there was this series of books that was highly popular called Left Behind. They were written by a guy named Tim LaHaye and another guy named Jerry Jenkins, and uh, everybody was reading them at the time. They were kind of a historical fiction based on the events of Revelation, what would that look like, and uh, quite the series of books. And I walked in, ready to teach that particular Sunday. Somebody grabbed me as I was walking up, and they said, hey, uh, I want to introduce you to somebody visiting today. I said, oh, cool. And they introduced me to Mr. and Mrs. Tim LaHaye. (laughs) And so now... I've got to teach from Revelation when I'm barely even beginning teaching to the guy that literally wrote the book on Revelation, not the book on Revelation, but a book on Revelation, and I just felt completely stressed out, 
incapable. 25 years later, it's not that much better. Um, <laughs> here we are. When I, when I dive into this, and this has been a voracious amount of studying for the last month and um, doubling back and dusting off old notes from what feels like centuries ago of study, what I know is this, when it comes to Revelation and your understanding of it, there's quite the spectrum. There are some of you, if I'm honest, are probably, there's some of you here that have maybe an unhealthy obsession with it and its contents. There are others that you avoid it like the plague and you're terrified of it or freaked out by it or weirded out by it, there's a huge portion in the middle that are just like, meh, I don't get it. I don't know if I ever will. I don't know if I'm pre or post or whatever. I, I'm probably pan trib. It's gonna all pan out in the end, so what difference does it really make, you know? I, I think there's a lot of fear associated with it. I could be afraid of uh, just not understanding it could be afraid of the controversy that comes with it because there's a lot of debate about the contents of this particular book. Could be afraid of uh, the graphic nature of it, uh, the weird symbols of which there are many. And the spectrum of things that we're gonna wrestle with here, it's quite the spectrum. The other challenge is there are some people that you're listening and you go, yeah, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus yet. There are a number of you that are new followers of Jesus. And there are others that you've been walking with him for a long time and you're mature followers of Christ. Well, when it comes to the teaching of the word, the word tells us that there are uh, seasons where we, like babies, need to feed on milk. You don't give a brand new baby steak because it can't chew it. And so it is with us spiritually. The, the older we go, the more we mature in Christ, there is more that we can digest and understand scripturally. Revelation, I would tend to put on the steak end of the spectrum, not the milk end of the spectrum. Then, last bit of disclaimer. As we preach any time, it's kind of like preparing a meal. We wanna prepare something that will be nourishing to you. We also want to prepare something that looks halfway decent on the plate uh, and that, uh, that you would receive and it would taste good and would benefit your heart and your soul and your mind by the grace of God through the word of God. My fear in something like this is a couple of things happen. Either I gorge you <laughs> or I starve you or you receive the meal and you go, ugh, this tastes disgusting. <laughs> And so these are all the thoughts, honestly, just going through my head as we crack this uh, amazing book. It's a letter that was written uh, to churches to be circulated. It was for the benefit of believers. But it is a specific genre of biblical literature. It's called apocalyptic literature. Now, for us, apocalyptic literature is not uh, something that's real commonplace, and it is a very specific kind of literature that requires some specific understanding. So if you're unfamiliar with apocalyptic literature, it's like being unfamiliar with stocks and bonds and trying to make sense of the Dow Jones report. It's challenging. 
but we can come to some understanding of it. Apocalyptic just means revealed. Apocalyptic just means uncovered. So here are some things that God has revealed or uncovered, made known, in this case, to his disciple and friend, John. John's Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. This is from that same John. Now, what's interesting here is the more that people from the first century, when they received revelation, I believe they would have had a way better understanding of what this was about. When they read it, it would have, it would have struck chords. They would have connected dots better and quicker than probably we would. Why? Because they were hyper familiar with the Old Testament. And revelation is probably best understood, best interpreted in tandem with a really solid understanding of the Old Testament. There are more references probably in Revelation to the Old Testament than any other New Testament book of the Bible. And so for me and you to really have a good understanding of it, we should probably go back and revisit some Old Testament. We're not gonna do that today, but you can on your own. Go in and read the book of Daniel. Read the book of Isaiah. Read the book of Ezekiel. Read, uh, read uh, uh, Zephaniah. Read Zechariah. And, and you will get an awful lot of resources and tools that will help you. Now when you read through Revelation, you'll go, oh, there was a reference to a beast here or a dragon here, and Daniel explained it in this context, or Ezekiel was communicating it here. And you can begin to put these puzzle pieces together. But these were all given and revealed to John in a dream, have you ever tried to make sense of your dreams? See, this is, this is annoying for us Western thinkers because we like a, a, a clear point here with three subset points there and maybe a subset to those subsets and it's all very logical and, and Greek in thought. But Eastern thought uh, was okay with symbols. It was okay with pictures. It was okay of images that allowed you to dive in and see kind of a, a more beautiful, fuller picture, but often with less of the clarity that we would like as Western thinkers. So we've gotta take that into consideration when we dive in. There are two things that I would really like for you to keep in mind as you look at Revelation and as we talk for the next 20, 30 minutes. Two things with regard to Revelation to keep in mind. One is this. If we as human beings are, are left unrestrained by God, if God just completely removed his hand, if the Holy Spirit completely just left us entirely to our own devices, humanity would be a vile, disgusting mess. 
and the enemy would be happy to take any ground that was left in our hearts, in our lives. If left unrestrained, humanity and the world is going to be a vile, disgusting place. I don't need to sell you on that. You look at places throughout history up to present day where there is tremendous amount of hideous things going on and I'll tell you what's in common there. There are not people there who have their hearts affected by the love of Jesus. They're not tuned in to the truth of God. This is vile sin nature and Satan running the show. That's true. Second thing to keep in mind, as we go through Revelation, has to do with the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is actually extended through Revelation, through the tribulation, through the roller coaster, even the grace of Jesus at the darkest part of humanity, the grace of Jesus is still active. That's a right on amen woohoo sort of moment that we should keep in mind when we take a look at this book. You know, when most of us will tend to minimize both Satan and Jesus. That's just kind of a normal practice for, for me, I've noticed, is kind of downplay uh, the role of Satan and even minimize the person and the work of Jesus. Remember the, the, you know, the images that we got in the past of you, you've, got, you've got the devil. What's he look like? He's what color? Red. What's he got up here? What's he holding here? Pitchfork, you know. He's got a pointy tail. He's just this cartoon image that we have reduced this vile, hideous, powerful being to really a cartoon. It's a movie line that says the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. That's probably true. And, and we, should, we should not minimize Satan because he's incredibly powerful and he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. We unfortunately do the same thing with Jesus. We've made Jesus kind of a wimp. Um, and, and I'm not knocking this particular piece of artwork or whatever, but um, these images that we've got of Jesus, I'm not quite sure how they all originally came to be. Um, but Jesus is very nature God. Yes, he's meek. Yes, he's humble. But Jesus is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is also God Almighty. So let's not take that for granted. That is massive, that's huge for us to remember that he wasn't just some wimpy guy, he was not just a nice teacher, he's not just a, a carpenter, not just a rabbi, but he is very nature God. That's huge for us. And so in lighting with it, we gotta see Jesus properly. My concern is when we talk about revelation that some of us can get more fanatic about prophecy than we do about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If that's where we're at, we're already on the wrong trajectory. You with me? Okay, back to the timeline. Pastor John mapped out this beautiful timeline of the story of the universe, and we are now at the end. We are talking about future things. I'll put a little asterisk there. Some of you uh, 
have a different understanding of what future things are or end things are. We'll get to that in a minute. But Revelation is the end of the scripture, and what is to come in the future is described there. And uh, first century people saw the future differently than we see the future. But I just want to draw us now to the word of God in Revelation. Did you know that Revelation was meant to be a blessing? Revelation was meant to be a blessing. Revelation opens with a blessing. And then it closes with a blessing. That should kind of take some of the heat off some of the angst off. Revelation chapter one, verse three. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This is meant to be a blessing. That blessing there is echoed way back in Revelation chapter 22, verse seven. There's a blessing found here. And so we shouldn't avoid it like the plague. This is part of the word of God, albeit a challenging one, a mysterious one. I'll draw us to this too. For John being a friend with Jesus, I love how Revelation starts. John is is standing somewhere. He's now been exiled to this Isle of Patmos, and then it's time. God's gonna reveal stuff to John. And the voice begins to speak. And John wheels around to hear the voice speaking to him. And now he sees Jesus. But this is not the buddy Jesus. This is not the friend Jesus. This is not Jesus in his most approachable humanity. This is the divine Jesus. And he sees Jesus in all his divinity, all his glory, And the image that he sees recorded in Revelation chapter one, eyes blazing like fire, hair white like wool, feet glowing like bronze in a furnace. And in verse 17, this is John's response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one, I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Those are gonna be important words to know about Jesus, be reminded about Jesus as we continue on. That's how Revelation starts. Jesus as king. You wanna hear how it ends? Revelation chapter 21 Verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Right on, amen, woo-hoo. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. When was the last time you heard that? Jesus at the cross. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's how the the revelation begins and ends with Jesus as our divine king. Honestly, that's probably all we really need to know. If you want to boil this sucker down, Jesus is the divine king. That's how it started. That's how it's all going to end. And when we're under his kingly reign, then we'll be okay. Everything's going to work out. Okay. Now, at the risk of the gorging, I wanted to give you a little bit of help. Because some of you are well studied in this, maybe even more than I, and that's fantastic. You're a great resource to the church. Others of you, if you you just haven't known how to piece it all together, what I just want to give you are some helps here so that as you go back and read it again or for the first time, you'll kind of at least know uh, a little bit of the Cliff's Notes. You'll kind of see where you are, where we are, what God's up to, where this is kind of in the, the general flow, okay? So here are just a couple of helps. One has to do with the key players in Revelation. The key players in Revelation. Uh, one, you're going to see a lot of reference to a dragon. Just so you know, the dragon references Satan, who we would call Satan or the devil. And he is anti God in all aspects. You're going to see references to the beast. And the beast is a reference to the Antichrist, who you might have heard referred to as the Antichrist. You've got the false prophet. And the false prophet is anti spirit. Anti spirit. And so between the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, which is also referred to as a second beast, you have one that's anti-God, one that's anti-Christ, and one that's anti-spirit. It's this really weird inverse of the Trinity. It's a disgusting distortion of the, the Trinity, all fueled by the dragon, which is Satan. If you wonder who the woman in Revelations chapter 12 is, I'm gonna try to use the phrase, if I remember, I believe her to be or this to be when this is my personal belief, but it is one that is debated. I believe the woman in Revelation is uh, the remnant of Israel uh, referring to God's faithful ones. I'm gonna give you two more that aren't there on screen. One is the 144,000. There's a reference to this group of people, 144,000. It may be a figurative number of completion that refers to the whole church. I I tend to believe that it is a uh, literal grouping of people uh, that I believe were primarily Jewish people who had turned to Christ. Now, something interesting happens when you read about the 144,000. John hears that 
there's 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of, Jude, of, of uh, Israel that are being sealed by God. That's what he hears. I, I'm choosing 12,000 from the 12 tribes to seal and set apart and then give a particular mission to. That's what he sees. That's what, that's what he hears. But what he ends up seeing immediately following is representatives from every tribe, tongue, and nation who go forth. And so it's an interesting juxtaposition of what he has heard and then what he ends up seeing. And so that makes me think that there's some room that the 144,000 is a picture maybe of the whole church, even Jewish believers have come to Christ, or specifically these Jewish believers. What we do know is that these people play a significant part. They have a significant mission during the tribulation. They have protection from God, and they lead many to Christ during the tribulation. That's the 144,000. Plenty of other debate on that. Two witnesses I want to draw your attention to. There's a reference to two witnesses. Now, these witnesses could be literal witnesses, some suppose Moses or Elijah of the Old Testament. They're also referred to as lampstands. So some people in, in Revelation, when lampstands is referred to, they're referred to as churches. So some people think these two uh, witnesses, because they're referred to as lampstands, are churches or the church that has the spirit or vibe of Moses and Elijah. Otherwise, they play a particular uh, powerful part where they proclaim a lot, they perform miraculous works, and many are drawn to them, but then they are also put to death. And then they are resurrected. And it's after these who have laid their lives down and are resurrected that there's a massive turn, a repentance among people who see that. Interesting. Hang in there with me. Okay, if you see the lamb, if you see the lamb, the lamb of God, it's Jesus Christ. Don't miss him. Because again, who's this about? Jesus. And the lamb is the preferred image in Revelation. The lamb that was slain, that's our Jesus. And, and he is the one that we should focus on. Okay, are you still with me? Okay, all right. I wanna give you a quick overview. There's helps with key players, here's a quick overview. Now what I wanna tell you about the overview here is these things are debated. There are differing opinions about uh, the order that, that these events take place. People debate the order of these events. People debate the timing of these particular events. People even debate whether these are literal events or just figurative events. Again, if you went back to the recipients of this in the first century, what was going on in their world with regard to persecution, with regard to what Rome was doing, what Caesar was doing in killing Christians would have looked and sounded a whole lot like what's going on here. What makes it even more complicated, the, the beast, the, the Antichrist, he's given a number in Revelation, and the number is 666. 
It's a mysterious number. We don't know exactly what that is about. If the number seven had meaning of perfection, then it's obviously off of perfection. But an interesting thing that skews this whole deal with history is back Nero Caesar. In Greek, the alphabet also had a numeric value. Each letter had a numeric value. It's weird because Nero Caesar, his name, if you total his name, the letters of his name, it totals 666. So you can see how people have made sorts of connections and trying to figure this out and piece this all together. It's quite complex. But here's the order that is debated about the timing and the order and whether it's figurative or literal. Hang in there with me. You go to Revelation chapter one. What have we seen? Divine Jesus. You go to Revelation two and three and now there's letters that are written to churches. These were literal churches that existed at the time, and, and, and Jesus is praising them for what they did well, and he's admonishing them for some things that they have not done well. These are also figurative examples of things that churches throughout all of history are going to face. It makes me wonder, Connection Point, if Jesus were to write our church, Connection Point Church, a letter. What would he praise us for? What might he encourage us or rebuke us on as his people in this local expression of his body? Well, this word goes to the churches, and then in Revelation 4 and 5, you get the throne room of God. And there at the throne room, they bring forth this scroll, and nobody can unseal, undo the scroll. And so they're going, oh, what are we going to do? And then, here's another moment, a difference between what John hears and what John sees. In the throne room of God, nobody can open the scroll and then they hear, oh, here is the, the one. Here's the one who can open the scroll. It's the Lion of Judah. That's Jesus, the Lion of Judah. That's what John hears. Only the Lion of Judah can open the scroll. Then what does John see? He sees a lamb that was slain. Jesus is the great lion and the lamb. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the lamb who was slain. And here comes the lamb and he's the one that can open the scrolls. And these scrolls are gonna have a tremendous amount of information, these symbolic pictures that were actual judgments that go out on earth by God. The rapture. The rapture you'll see there I put in parentheses. Uh, because it's debated widely about when the rapture takes place. What the rapture is, is described in 1 Thessalonians, it's described in 1 Corinthians, it's not described in Revelation. And so the rapture, you have to go to other places in Scripture to figure out what that's about. There's references to it in the Old and the New Testament. The rapture is when Jesus comes for his people. He comes and he removes his people, those living and those dead in Christ already, and removes them and brings them up to be with him. That's the great rapture. 
You've seen the stupid bumper sticker. If rapture occurs while I'm driving this car, this will be unmanned. You know, that's the dumbest thing ever, but it's probably kind of true and a little bit scary to think about. If we're, if we are a part of his family, his kingdom, if we're his kids, then there will come a moment where he would remove us. He will rapture his church. Now, why I place it here, which personal belief, pre-millennial, pre, I'm a pre-trib person, believes that we will be raptured before the tribulation. I happen to believe that because as I read through Revelation, you've got the churches, you've got the throne room, it's gonna jump next to the tribulation and all through the subsequent chapters, the church is not there. The church returns with Jesus, but the church is conspicuously absent. People are led to Christ during the tribulation, so that helps me feel like there's at least some reason to believe that we will be raptured before uh, the tribulation. Uh, I also believe that because that's what I want to believe, to be quite honest. (laughs) Uh, I'm hoping and praying that that's the case. There are others of you who believe this is figurative or symbolic and this is not really gonna happen in this particular way or it's already happened in some particular way. We get that, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Then we get to what's called the tribulation. In Revelation, from chapter six all the way to chapter 19, and there's only 22 chapters in the book, it's all about the tribulation. Okay, and I'm wapping this out so you get lost reading Revelation in the middle where there's all these chapters. At least you can remember, okay, this is a period of tremendous judgment called the tribulation, and it's a seven-year period. And during this seven-year period, there is the rise of the Antichrist, there's the rise of the false prophet, The rise of the Antichrist is primarily political. He is allowed to rise to authority for about a three and a half year period where he's got a tremendous amount of power, a tremendous amount of of authority and influence, but people don't recognize him for exactly who he is. There is a false prophet that rises, the other beast, and their function is primarily religious. The Antichrist is primarily political, the uh, false prophet is primarily religious, but what they're doing is trying to unite everything in worship of the Antichrist, which is in worship of the dragon or Satan. The enemy's building a kingdom of his own. And he forces people to take a certain mark on their foreheads, which is in contrast to the name of God that is written on our foreheads as his kids. That's an anti-Shema reference. Shema is the prayer of the Jewish people back in Deuteronomy where the name of the Lord was written on their foreheads and contrasted at the enemy, the beast is saying, I want my mark on you, I don't want his mark on you, okay? And there's some real persecution that takes place. It goes from bad to worse right about the three and a half year mark. At three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist is seen and made known for who he really is, and then the judgment of God kicks in over time. 
There's a tremendous amount of persecution. There are faithful ones in the midst of this, and God is still active and still extending grace, ironically, while he's still bringing justice. That's the tribulation. It will culminate, you get to Revelation chapter 20, and it culminates in this great battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ. This is debated as well. The second coming of Christ, the timing of it is debated. But he will come and he will uh, bind Satan, cast him into a pit for a period of a thousand years. And during that, that's called the millennial reign. Jesus himself rules as he comes with his people now to rule the earth for a period of peace and prosperity on earth for a millennium, for a thousand years debated about whether that's figurative or literal, et cetera, et cetera. At the very end of that, the enemy is allowed to be released one last time. And people, it's a hideous battle. It's disgusting what takes place during that, but it is the final judgment. At the end there, Jesus wins. Satan is cast into the lake of fire forever, and it's over and done with. The Antichrist and the Anti-Spirit, the false prophet, they've already been cast down. So the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, and death and the grave, they're also cast down. And it's no more. You get to Revelation 21 and 22. And it's very clear, God makes all things new. There's a new heaven and a new earth and whatever you, you love now about your life, all the good stuff that is in our life right now, there's so many good things. My Air Force friend John fishes. He's an avid fisherman, and I love seeing the joy that fishing brings to him because there are good things in this life, and it reminds me, he reminds me often, there's so many good things. You guys, there's good things right now. There's a lot of scary junk coming, but there's so many good things right now Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be aware of some of the bad things while we're experiencing all of these good things. Let's not take them for granted. He's gonna make everything new, and what a beautiful time that's gonna be. Last bit of helps regard to the tribulation symbols and judgments. Revelation uh, 6 through 19, during that tribulation, you're gonna see the reference to seven seals seven trumpets, and seven bowls. It's nearing the end of the seven trumpets where there's the massive shift about three and a half years through the tribulation where things go from uh, bad to worse. The seals, trumpets, and judgments that you can read about there are relatively obvious and easy to understand by, by comparison. Um, but what I think is the most interesting to draw your attention to there is that for all of God's judgments during the tribulation, that didn't seem to produce a change in people's hearts. The judgment of God didn't seem to produce a change in people's hearts. What does seem to produce a change in people's hearts during the revelation is when these two witnesses that might be literal, they might be representative of believers in general, laid down their lives 
under persecution and yet are brought back to life. Something about someone laying down their life, dying for the sake of others, that is more compelling to the repentance of people than judgment. I think that's fascinating. Scripture tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And thank God for that. And that's the story of Jesus. And he, he came and laid his life down, and yet it was for this conquering purpose. Conquering comes with the laying down of his life. You guys, conquering comes with the laying down of our lives. And that's gonna produce the biggest effect for the people around us. Right in the greatest darkness there, Jesus shows up in this powerful moment in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 and 16. Seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was loud voices of shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and, his, and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on the thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and began to worship him. Now there are some differing views. There's differing views about all of this. There's more than the ones that you see listed there. There are people that are either pre or mid or post-trib, tribulation. And that just is a reference to, they've studied the scriptures and they come to believe that the church, the people of God are gonna be raptured either before the tribulation, before it gets rough, in the middle, or after, okay? If you ever hear that talked about. Um, there's something called millennialism, and that has to do with that thousand-year reign of Jesus reigning on earth. There are people that are amillennialists, and they believe that the millennium is just figurative, and so therefore that, that reign is a figurative one, not a literal one. There are others that believe that the second coming of Christ comes before he reigns for the thousand years. There's others that believe there's a thousand year millennial reign, but he reigns from afar and then comes at the end of the thousand years to wrap everything up. And then there's something called preterism, and that has to do with referring to the past. And there are people that are full preterist or partial preterist, and they're the ones who believe with a lot of careful study, a lot of smart people believe this, I'm still trying to make sense of it myself. I, I don't land there yet, but this is fascinating to me. I've got a dear friend who is. And they view that all of the prophecies of Revelation have already been fulfilled, actually, in the first century with the collapse of the uh, temple in AD 70 in Jerusalem and uh, the rest of the reign and et cetera are more figurative for them. And it's kind of interesting uh, just if that ever comes up in your journey, okay? So... What happens? What, what should we be looking for? Uh, the rapture, you guys, is a signless event. There's no precursor, there's no warning for the rapture. Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, no one knows about the hour, the time, the way. We just know it's gonna come like a thief in the night. We don't know when that's gonna happen. Jesus says he doesn't even know, which is crazy. So. I think we could stop trying to figure the rapture part out. If Jesus doesn't know, we don't know. You don't know, okay? You don't know. <laughs> there are other events, however, that have been given to us 
to make us alert and sober-minded, that clue us in about end times things. Matthew chapter four walks through a lot of them. Pastor John has been posting some very powerful things on his personal Instagram page, a lot of good verse references to go pull up and look through about what is said about the end times. There are the rise of false prophets and even false messiahs. Uh, there's a rise of people deceiving and being deceived. There's a rise in wars. Uh, there's there's a, a rise in cosmic disturbances and uh, natural disasters. I mean, it, it, it sounds a whole lot like stuff that's going on now, but if we fat, rewound to World War II or uh, the medieval times or whatever, I mean, we'd probably be going, oh my gosh, this is it. This is probably the time right now. But there's a lot for us to be alert to. I'd encourage you to be alert to that. Seems to be some reference to a, a aligning of a one world sort of government system that can be controlled by the beast, the antichrist, that would include a one world financial functioning sort of ability because at some point, if you don't take the mark, then uh, you have no ability to buy or sell anything. Daniel refers to 10 united nations that make up a confederacy that are led by this evil individual. And so when you see nations aligning in certain ways, whichever those 10 are, it should be something to go, hmm, let's pray. Okay, so what? Can I read you something and we'll wrap this up? I wanna read you this right from the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter five. And I'm not gonna unpack it afterward because I think it speaks for itself. With regards to end things, future things, Paul wrote the believers in Thessalonica, you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and light. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, amen? And wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Man, Christ died for us. So that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I hope that this can be some, some encouragement to you. That's all I've been praying for, Pastor John's been praying for. We've, we've just been praying that this, this time of being reminded of who Jesus is where this is headed, that he's still on the throne, that he's always gonna be on the throne would be an encouragement to you. And to invite him into the driver's seat now while there's still time, while there's still this patience of God being extended at such an extra measure than would be in the future. So what now? I'd say put your hope in God. Jesus wins, Satan loses, an end is coming, and what's next is gonna blow your mind. It's way better. That's so what? So what? Stay close to Jesus. Be alert. Persevere to the end. 
And then please encourage each other to enjoy this life now while we've got it. Yeah, do the work of an evangelist. And glorify God by by going fishing. Glorify God by going hang gliding or off-roading or hanging out with your kids. Enjoy the gift that he's given you. It's not, I know, there's some rough stuff that's going on, but it's not as bad as it's gonna be. And we're blessed right now. We are so incredibly blessed. We have got so much. And there are people in other places and in other eras who had it way worse than we have it here and now. And so I thank God for that. And so be good to people. Stop the whining and the complaining and the infighting and the nitpicking and just receive the love of Jesus and then let's just love our life, love people extravagantly with the love of Jesus. The last line of Revelation is, may the grace of Jesus be upon you. And if his grace is upon you, then you're good to go. And if his grace is upon you, then everyone in your sphere will be impacted. That's the scope of our Jesus. That's what we can do here and now. I'll close with this. I did radio in the 90s, and there was a song by a father-son duo named Aaron Jeffrey. It's one of my favorite songs. It's dated enough and a little bit cheesy enough that I'm not going to play it for you. But I would love to, and I'm certainly not going to sing it for you, um, but I would love to read these lyrics to you because what they did in these beautiful lyrics is that they traced Jesus through every single book of the Bible in the lyrics of this song. And so would you receive this as some encouragement? In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. Numbers, the fire by night. Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. Judges, lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. First and second, Samuel, our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. Ezra, true and faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, wisdom's cry. Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, the cry for Israel. Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the Spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. 
In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, our glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. Thessalonians, our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and in Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in the revelation, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Son of man, the Lamb of God, the great I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega, our God and our Savior. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. And when time is no more, he is. He is. He's the main character, and he's strong to get you through today and all of eternity. And so, gracious Heavenly Father, we give you the praise and the glory for this amazing story that you are the author of all of history. And we look to you for help and hope and direction. We thank you for Jesus and all that he has done, and all that he will do. It's in his precious name that we pray these things. Amen. 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 Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.